In the name of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lift up me that I may lift up thee. Good morning. It's very good to be here with you in person, in church. And thank you, Leisha, for inviting me. The Gospel of Luke was written in the aftermath of the Jewish war and not long after the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was a time of incredible upheaval and persecution. And many Jews fled from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. The early Christians, most of whom were Jewish, called themselves the followers of the way and were regularly martyred by citizens of the Roman Empire, by stoning or by crucifixion. So this passage that has Jesus sending 70 disciples into a foreign territory completely vulnerable with nothing, no purse, no bag, no shoes, two by two willing to bring their peace to the houses that they entered and having to entirely depend on the hospitality of strangers. This was a radical image. By the time Luke is writing his gospel, it has been 50 years or more since Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. So this story is for the people who were living during that very tumultuous time towards the end of the first century, to bring the good news to all the people, to show that the enemy that they were up against is not the Romans, is not the Gentiles, is not a different religious sect, but the force of evil itself in the world. In the previous chapter, Jesus has sent out his 12 disciples, and the word in Greek to send can also mean to thrust out. Jesus is thrusting out his disciples like baby birds out of the nest to preach and teach and heal and proclaim the kingdom of God. To them also, he said, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. To the 70, he says, see, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, no purse, no bag, nothing with which to accumulate wealth, nothing with which to accept alms, nothing with which to buy provisions barefoot. Can you imagine this level of vulnerability and complete trust in God, complete faith in the mission of Jesus, and the confidence that they would be met with welcome and in the sharing of their peace? Jesus is sending these 70 disciples to go to every town and place where he himself is intending to go. They are emissaries. They are preparing the way. Jesus has given them the same authority that he has for preaching, teaching, healing, exercising demons, and preparing others for an encounter with Jesus. They have power but not worldly power. They are literally powerless in a worldly sense, yet they bring with them the peace of God. Jesus says, Who, who whatever house you enter say, peace to this house. And what is this peace? The Greek word for peace also means 
a state of harmony, well-being, concord. It is peace that is non-reactive, non-violent, a peace that passes all understanding. And the Hebrew shalom similarly means wellness, wholeness, completeness, harmony, peace. And it also means hello and goodbye. When their peace is not accepted, the disciples brush the dust off their feet. They don't want this peace and blessing to be diluted or polluted or lessened by the inability of people to accept it. And this is not a judgment on the people who cannot yet accept or receive this peace, perhaps because of their own trauma or distrust. It is not a judgment, but a protection of the goodness of God. This is not an us versus them situation. These people are not punished for not receiving the peace because might I remind us that God is not punitive. God is love. And even though the disciples brush off the dust, when they leave, they make sure also to say to these people the good news that God's kingdom is drawing near. These disciples are bringing a blessing, a proclamation of the kingdom of God, the peace of God. According to the prophets, peace will be an essential characteristic of the messianic kingdom. And the houses that receive their peace welcome them and care for them, give them food and drink, and probably put them up for the night. And I think there's something so relevant in this scripture reading for us in our crazy times, this idea of simplifying, carrying less, making more room for what is of greater importance. Richard Gregg was a student of Gandhi's teaching in the 1930s, and he wrote the following about a life of what he called voluntary simplicity. Voluntary simplicity involves both inner and outer conditions. It means singleness of purpose, sincerity and honesty within, as well as avoidance of exterior clutter, of many possessions irrelevant to the chief purpose of life. It means an ordering and guiding of our energy and our desires, a partial restraint in some distractions in order to secure greater abundance of life in other directions. It involves a deliberate, deliberate organization of life for a purpose. And he goes on to say, the degree of simplification is a matter for each individual to settle for themselves. This idea of voluntary simplicity, paring down, making do with less, disengaging with consumerism when we can, buying our food at farmer's markets, walking instead of driving. All of these things can and do allow us to relate to our world in more personal ways. We slow down. We notice things more. Kosuke Koyama, a Japanese theologian, wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. He writes that the fastest God goes is three miles an hour or the average human walking speed. He says that God walks with us, not ahead of us, and certainly not behind us, and that the speed of cars and buses and trains and airplanes disrupts this pace, this slower communion with God. 
This gospel passage is also an encouragement to walk in the knowledge of God's peace, bringing this peace to our day-to-day -day interactions, bringing this peace especially in conversations with those we don't agree with politically or otherwise. We need to come together to dialogue in ways that seek to understand the opposite point of view. And if we offer our peace and it is rejected, that we walk away while still having compassion, still wanting to share the kingdom of God, even with those who disagree with us. In the early years of Christianity, Jesus' followers formed communal living situations and house churches. They shared resources and made sure that no one went hungry or sick. They practiced the liturgy of the Eucharist without fanfare, very simply. They took care of one another in the time of the Roman Empire when there was great violence and persecution of anyone who did not worship the emperor, especially these mostly Jewish followers of the way. And this is a good model for us today when difference is persecuted and so many people live in poverty. As Martin Luther King said, we will learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will perish together as fools. Jesus says, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. And what might we say are the wolves of our time? Where do we not feel safe? Where do we feel too vulnerable in the world? And where are we objectively in danger? And what are the things that distract us from the peace of God? I think the wolves of our time are greed, apathy, self-righteousness, undiscerned rage, inability to listen to differing opinions without violent reactions, even if only internally. For the disciples, this was a brand new call. They, there had been no other generation of disciples before them. This was urgent and necessary as Jesus was setting his face toward Jerusalem and the end of his earthly life. These disciples walked their walk with fortitude with an understanding that God's greatness was wider than any anxiety they might have had. And we, as disciples, need to follow the call in our own time and bring the peace of God to everyone we possibly can as we are able. We have a call now to have a new idea of how to live in peaceful relationship with our neighbor and our world. We are certainly in the midst of challenging times. But we can be reminded that throughout history and evolution, cycles of tragic destruction and trouble have been followed by equally intense cycles of creativity and renewal. This is how our hope for the future is born, through understanding that we are, each of us, a part of a creative renewal in our time. Just as the disciples are in their time, we are in a Kairos moment. Kairos is a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of something crucial, the right moment, a propitious time to take action, 
We are in this Kairos moment to live the changes we want to see, to strip down to the bare essentials and to do the ministry of hospitality with one another. When the disciples return to Jesus, they are rejoicing because of all the incredible healing that took place, that even the demons submitted to them because of the power Jesus had given them. But Jesus reminds them that the greater cause of rejoicing is not that they did these things, but that the rejoicing had to do with the celebration of belonging to the reign of God in the world, the healing power of God, the peace of God, the welcoming of God. Not rejoicing in the defeat of others, but rejoicing in the goodness of light and love and peace and justice and healing. That we all belong to this mission. I will end with another quote from the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. The type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of aesthetic or romantic love, not philia, a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends, but it is agape, which is understanding goodwill for all people. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It is the love of God working in the lives of people. This is the love that may well be the salvation of our civilization. Amen. <laughs>